This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Morning, everybody. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 1. We're in a series on 1 Peter. Today we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, I don't think we have any in the back. So may the Lord help you. Maybe you can share with a friend from six feet away. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I would like to say to Dean how much we appreciate you allowing us to come. So you're grateful the teams get to come to you, but we're all aware you've had a deep impact on our congregation. So Dean, wherever you are, thank you for allowing us to partner with you. We are very grateful for all that you're doing. This is God's Word. And now we're going to, as a church, turn our attention to God's Word, which is just what we need this morning. And we're very grateful God has given us His infallible, inerrant, inspired Word that is sufficient for these days. Peter is writing to Christians who are living during troubling times too. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Lord, bless your word. I believe the Lord wants to give us reason for a living hope this morning. I believe He's calling us to be optimistic and not fear. A friend that I respect very much got my attention the other day, sent me a text with a YouTube video, asked me what I thought about it. It was a pastor in Kentucky who had what he considered to be prophetic dreams. He qualified everything repeatedly by saying he didn't claim to be a prophet. He's just trying to serve people. It's okay if you don't believe him. You do with this whatever you want. I've never said anything like this in my church, he said, although he then did add he was in the middle of a series on dreams and visions. He said, I've never gone on video and told people about dreams, almost like he was a victim. The only reason I'm doing it is because I I had a dream in 2019, and it came true. It was about COVID-19, and 
It happened. It was all about a calendar, seeing a calendar, an emphasis on certain months. And it happened. And so now he felt like it wouldn't serve people if he didn't tell them about his dream. So in the video, he, he said things like, I am well read. I read 40 newspapers a day. He said he knows how nations work. He said this humbly. Repeatedly said things like, I'm not a prophet, but I know when I hear God's voice. I know what God's voice sounds like. I know when I have a dream that's from Him. It's a spiritual gift. So, what are his dreams saying? Though he kept saying, you decide, it was clear he had decided. Here's what they, they meant. Incredible, terrible, awful. This is a quote. Nasty Bad things are going to happen in this nation. Hold your applause. They, these dreams are a warning to Christians that sinister things are coming. Second outbreak of COVID. After the elections in November, chaos. Troops in the streets. Protests worse than ever. Buildings burning. In his dreams, he saw Chinese troops in the United States, UN troops with blue helmets, no sign of the president, governing authorities, people hiding, churches burning. One dream was about the U.S. Mint not making coins because of skyrocketing inflation. No $1 bills, no $5 bills. According to this well-read pastor in rural Kentucky who knows how nations work, all this can lead to only one thing, civil war in the United States. People want to destroy the United States. So he's concerned, he's worried the faith of believers will be destroyed. He, he made it clear, believes the Antichrist is alive and well and living on planet Earth. Hold your applause. He views these as the end times. So it was very clear what his eschatology was. I'm only sharing this so that, that, that you can prepare. I don't want you to get off the grid. But, make sure you store up food. Make sure you have alternative forms of currency, silver and gold. You're going to need plenty of guns and ammo. Confessed, he's a strong proponent of the Second Amendment. And finally, pray. Trust me, man, as I watched that video, I was praying. You know, I still have canned beans from Y2K. Do you? Uh, I, I used to be easy to scare. But uh, this is not my first rodeo. I've been through this before. When I was first, when God caused me to be born again back in the 1800s, there was a, there was a movie out called Like a Thief in the Night. And all the old people are like, I still have nightmares about that movie. Then there was 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And it, it sounds stupid today. Let me tell you, it swept Christians across the country. And Y2K was filled with dark prophecy. This man on this video said, if it doesn't, if all this doesn't happen, call me. I, <laughs> 
I, I told my friend to text me, I want to make sure you do this. You understand me? You're going to Kentucky to talk to this guy. There wasn't anything biblical about his predictions. He was investing authority in his dreams. Did you notice that our text talks about the end times? Look in verse 5. Those who, those who are born again to a living hope by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's my eschatology right there. It's very New Testament. It's encouraging. It gives me faith and hope. First thing I said to my friend that sent me this uh, video, I, I just said, you know, this is not encouraging my faith. It seems to be projecting fear. I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that's what the Lord is doing. These are trying times. And it doesn't take a prophet to see that hard times are ahead. I said last week, it's difficult to imagine after this election that everybody's going to get along and there's going to be a loser that's going to be gracious. I think what we need to do is turn our attention to God's holy, inspired Word. God the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wrote this Word. He's still saying this Word. And it's encouraging. And it's about the end times. 1 Peter 3-5 through is actually a comprehensive glance at your future. That's what it's about. Is it relevant? I think so. I have confidence in God's Word. I believe this is the future. This is sound doctrine. Here's what one commentator says. Edmund Hybert. In the present turbulent world, Christians are truly justified in viewing the future with optimism. Our new God-given life has delivered us from hopelessness and given us a joyous expectancy of what God still has in store for His people. Amen? So let's turn our attention to these verses. And that, let's, let's look for a living hope that I believe the Lord wants to impart to us today. Before Peter talks about the future, though, he talks about the past. And he expresses his adoration for God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal of our text is that we would praise God and bless God. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless His holy name according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. We are elect exiles to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hybert, the commentator, this beautiful passage is the outpouring of an adoring heart. Peter loved the Lord. Verses 3 through 12 is one sentence in the Greek. It was like he couldn't pick his pen up. He's just 
full of love for God. Blessed means praise God. Praise be to God because He's good. It means to declare His greatness. To declare His glory. To declare His perfection. He is praiseworthy. There's none like Him. Peter is celebrating this great God. In these first 12 verses of 1 Peter, there's, there's no commandments. There's no exhortations. There's no requirements for believers. He's just telling us what to do. He's not telling us what to do. He's telling us what to enjoy. He isn't lecturing. He, he's teaching the greatest realities in the universe He's talking about God. He's talking about regeneration, hope, the resurrection of Jesus, our inheritance, our eternal inheritance. He's talking about heaven. But he's not just giving us information, is he? He's marveling. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's marveling. It's not just information. God is truly awesome. And Peter just blesses him with deep affection. This is worship. And, and what God wants to do this morning is instruct our minds and affect our hearts. So we'll return to singing at the end. It should be really easy to do this. We have great reasons to sing and praise God. In the midst of difficulties, in the midst of hard times, we just always have these reasons to bless the Lord. That's what First Peter is all, is all about. That's why we're there. And he is writing to people who are not living easy, comfortable lives and saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're not a Christian. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Spirit drawing you and awakening you to some of these spiritual realities this morning. We offer you the gospel, and I would just encourage you not to resist what the Spirit might be doing. Maybe today you'll bless the Lord for the first time in your life. This is a heartfelt outpouring of praise because of this great salvation. It, that we've received. He's caused us to be born again. It's a, it's a really marvelous thing. Peter calls God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the author of our salvation is God the Father. This is, this is the God we worship and Peter identifies Him in relationship to our Savior, our Lord. And and. His followers. He's our Lord. This is God's title. It's related to His saving work. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the God we worship. Verse 3 says, According to His great mercy... God the Father has caused us to be born again. Peter is thinking about God's mercy. Let's think about God's mercy this morning. Do you ever wonder if God is merciful? Well, Peter would say, no, he's not just merciful. He has great 
mercy. It's great mercy. Because of His great mercy, God the Father has revealed Himself. He's made Himself known in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, He worked. He acted. He did something so that you could know the Creator. So that you could know Him. He caused us to be raised from the dead spiritually and to have life in Him. He has given us new birth. If you are a born-again Christian, it's because God worked. God caused you to be born again. Our, our living hope in this great inheritance, in this great salvation, flows from this work of regeneration. One of the reasons we don't worship like Peter does is because we think we did this. But we didn't do this. God did this. He caused us to be born again. Verse 3. It wasn't something we did. It's something that's been done to us. We didn't choose to be born again. We didn't choose him. He chose us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were blind to spiritual things. And our Heavenly Father sovereignly, powerfully, and mercifully opened our eyes. We were in spiritual darkness. Someone may have shared the gospel. They planted seeds. Someone may have watered those seeds. But it is God alone who did the miracle. This is what John says in John 1. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave the right. He caused us to be born again. We were regenerated. It happened in the past. He did it. Human effort didn't cause it. 2 Corinthians 5, what happened? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a creation done by God. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. His, Peter would say great mercy. By the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is not something we did. This is something He did. God caused us to be born again. Let's worship Him. Let's return to Him in song. Let's sing his praises. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sorry. I got excited there. Does it change our lives to be born again? Indeed it does. We have, according to Peter, number one, a living hope. Verse three, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We shouldn't be gripped in fear. We shouldn't be encouraging fear. We have a hope. We have a a living hope that is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. Do you know the Spirit of Christ is with us today. We're gathered together in His name and He is here. So I trust that this will resonate with you and you will be aware He's been raised from the dead. This is a description of our life today. Elect exiles. We are pilgrims in this world. We are citizens of another country. And we have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it reminds us, Peter is, seems to be recalling his encounter with Jesus raised from the dead. Look over in John 21. Hold your place in 1 Peter. Look over in the Gospel of John. Mark did not have this. But John tells us details about Peter and his encounter with the resurrected Christ. Happens to be one of my favorite texts. Verse 1, John 21, after this, verse 1, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were together. This is one of the verses I love to pull out of context. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. I have pulled that out of context many times to try to get to go on a fishing trip. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I always leave that part out. <laughs> Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. He was dead. They are going back to fishing because they are hopeless. They are afraid. They are despairing. They are giving up. They are fishing. That's why I have to take it out of context. They are fishing because of their discouragement. The Savior was crucified. They saw it. But now here it is. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You don't catch fish in the day, you catch them at night. It's a miracle. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. He's done this before, folks. He, he's really wonderful to have around when you're a fisherman. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. This is what we love about Peter. For he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. We always count them and we always talk about how big they are. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Another miracle. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who who are you? They knew it was the Lord. You think that changed Peter's life? You think his attitude changed? Do you think his countenance changed? Do you think he said something like, Praise the Lord. I think he did. Turn back to 1 Peter 1. It's an emotional 180. A complete turnaround when you understand Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Archibald Hunter said, without the resurrection, there would have been no Christian church. Christianity is an Easter religion. Jesus is alive today. He is present. And this is God's work. We have a living hope. And this new birth has given us, we see something. We have a living hope because he's caused us to be born again. We are empowered And we feel this. We experience this. It's a reality that we know about. So we are delivered from hopelessness. We used to be without God and without hope. Now we are people with God and with hope. If I read 40 newspapers a day, I would be terrified. But when I read 1 Peter... I have an expectation, a joyful expectation of what's coming. I have a hope, a living hope. Peter characterized it as just a living hope because it's, it's the life of the living God in our soul. It's in contrast to this, all the false dead hopes of this world. They don't produce, but this hope is different. We, we just have this assurance in our soul, the best is yet to come. That's what this text says. Fear not. Do not fear. There are many temptations to fear for everyone in the United States right now. So many reasons to be afraid. You know, just COVID-19, it just sticks around. The stock market, the economy, and now we have a pastor in Kentucky with dreams. But you know what? We are right to be optimistic. Peter is thinking about the end times. Here's a prophetic word. He's writing to people living in scary times too. But there's reasons for hope There's reasons for optimism, and it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored, Edmund Clowney, our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus arose. 
our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives. And our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. Notice Peter says again, verse 3, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. From the dead. He was raised from the dead. Remember that. Peter wants you to remember he, he was dead. <laughs> he died for sinners. He was in the tomb three days. He rose from the dead. Literally, out from among such as are dead people. <laughs> I always took the kids on dates when they were little. Every month, I'd take each of the kids on a date. And um, one famous time, I was trying to multitask. And so, my daughter was maybe five years old. And I took her to my uncle's funeral. Because I <laughs> thought, okay, we'll go on a date. I need to go to this funeral. We'll hit the funeral, and then we'll go out and get some ice cream or something. <laughs> you know... It hit me in the midst of the funeral when they had an open casket and she's eyes are like this. You know, there is really a striking difference between a dead person and a living person. And when you're five years old, you get that, you know? And you don't forget that, now she's 29, you don't forget that when you're 29 and you remind your dad about it like every month. Jesus rose out from among such as are dead people. He was raised from the dead. And that's why we have a living hope. It's grounded in his resurrection. Peter was an eyewitness. Secondly, does God's causing us to be born again change our lives? And yes, it does. We have an unfading inheritance. Verse 4, he has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. We have an unfading Inheritance. Does that matter? We inherit his kingdom. There's an estate. It's objective. It's real. And when he returns, it'll be given to us fully. We have tasted it already. But then it'll be fully ours. This isn't pie in the sky. It's objective. It's real. It's, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. This inheritance is, is very much unlike everything in this world. That's what Peter is saying. It's what the New Testament tells us about our inheritance. It will never decay. It will never dissolve like everything in this world. It is absolutely imperishable. No moth, 
no rust will ever destroy it. It is in heaven. It's being kept for you. You know, I, my philosophy, everybody's different. My philosophy is, you know, pay a little bit more, get the nice thing, maintain it. It lasts long. Rather than go get the cheapest thing, and then it doesn't last very long. Now, I'm old enough to tell you, I don't care how much you pay, they don't last forever, do they? You can maintain them, they, they decay. I constantly find myself going, I just got this thing. Then I realize, well, actually it was five years ago. And it doesn't work anymore. That's this world. And the way to understand our inheritance is to understand it's a not like this world. It doesn't decay. It's like God. It's immortal. It's incorruptible. It can't be destroyed. It's totally free from all the forces in this earth that make things decay. They lose their attractiveness. If you have an inheritance in this world, you'd be excited about it, but then it'll lose. It'll decay. It'll, it'll perish, won't it? It won't stain. Our, our inheritance won't stain. It's undefiled. It, it's free from sin. Spiritual freedom from sin. Moral freedom. It's death-proof, sin-proof, time-proof. Every dream we have in this world will fade and rot. Everyone Everything in this world will let us down. But this inheritance is untouchable. It's kept, verse 4, in heaven for you. God himself is the one who's preserving it. He's keeping it. He's taking care of it. He's guarding it. And, and I love for you. It's for you. wish I could just go through every individual name and say, it's for you. God is in heaven keeping you, your inheritance. He's keeping it for you so that nothing will cause it to perish. And finally, we have a great salvation. We've been born again. And we have a great salvation. Verse 5, by God's power, Peter's readers, including us, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a great salvation. We've already tasted it, but there is more to come. Then when he returns, we'll experience the fullness of our salvation. You've tasted it now, but then it'll be full, it'll be complete, it'll be consummated. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. When we think about the end times and eschatology, this is what we should think about. I think the New Testament is, con there's an expectation. And the believers would say, come Lord Jesus. Let the end times come. It's good. We're eager for you to return. There wasn't, there's no time for a horror movie. The heirs are being protected by God. They're being shielded by God's power. 
Do you believe this right now? Think for just a minute. How is this landing on you? Is that how you live this week? Is that how I live? What about all the temptations? The pressures, the stresses, the weariness, persecutions, confusion, fears. Did God send Jesus to die for our sin and then it's just up to us? See you later. Hope you make it. Or do you believe this promise that we're being guarded by His power? That's what life, that's this great salvation. That's how great it is. He caused us to be born again and now He keeps our inheritance in heaven and He guards us in this life by His power through faith. He wants you to know that today. Peter wants you to know this. He's, he's, he's saying, right now, you are being protected by the power of God. Read Paul in Romans 8. You're very familiar with these verses, I hope. But he, he just talks about all the things that can come. All the tribulation, all the distress, famine, peril, everything in the dreams. He talks about all of it. And he said, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. What a way to say it. Why? Why do we overwhelmingly conquer in this life in the midst of everything? No matter what lies ahead, why do we conquer? Through Christ who loved us. He says, I am convinced nothing is going to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing in all creation. So that's my prophetic word today for you. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of Christ. You are being protected by the power of God. What we need is faith. So I want to conclude in the next two hours that I have with you by talking about faith. Just a few minutes. Talking about faith what I didn't appreciate about that video. Didn't encourage my faith. I wasn't really thinking about you as much as I like thinking about me and my friend. I'm like, man, the last thing I need is some so-called prophet trying to scare me. I'm already scared, all right? I was born scared and I'm going to die scared, so I don't need your dreams. Maybe you're not scared, but I have to fight for faith in Christ. And what, when I go to the New Testament, it comforts, it encourages, like Mitch's prophetic, that's New Testament prophecy. The Spirit is with the church, and the New Testament prophet, in accordance with God's Word. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word. That's what the Spirit is saying. And a New Testament prophet picks up on that. And just reminds us and encourages us in a kind of relevant right now to you way. So that your faith is built up. Yeah, that's right. That's what the Lord says. It's the end times. And you are being protected by the power of God. That's the truth of God's objective word. By God's power your future 
is secure. And his emphasis, remember we said, he said our faith is, in verse 6, is more precious than gold. Oh, your faith is so important. And I will not stand back and watch anybody try to harm your faith. And that's what Peter's doing. And that's what the Lord wants to do this morning is encourage your faith. Not discourage your faith. Get you distracted. Get you away from God's Word. Now He wants to push you into God's Word so that your faith will be built up. So that this week, when all the scary news is out there, you will not be afraid. Do not fear, for I am with you. Is what the Lord says. John Piper says this, God's power protects us for salvation by sustaining our faith. The only thing that can keep us from heaven is for forsaking our faith in Christ and turning to other hopes, other treasures. So to protect us, God prevents that. Father, I pray for every member of this church Protect their faith according to your word. He inspires and nourishes and strengthens and builds our faith. And in doing this, he secures us against the only thing that could destroy us. Unbelief. Lack of trust. Peter knew about it. Jesus said to him one time, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let me tell you the word of the Lord for you today. Jesus has prayed for you. And your faith is not going to fail. Let's pray. Father... We need you, Lord. Oh, we come to you not in our own strength. We don't trust in ourselves, Lord. We need help. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and we have a living hope. And Lord, I pray that we would be filled afresh by the spirit And I pray that your word would be strong in our hearts today and we would leave optimistic. That we would leave looking to a future that is secured by you, kept in heaven by you, protected by your power. Deliver your saints, Lord. Deliver these believers from fear, I pray. In Jesus' name, for your glory, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865 865- We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.